0: All right. Good morning, Christ Church. Good to worship with you this morning. Good to be with you, to sing with you, and spend time in church together. Good morning to all of you in the upper room. Good morning to you. Good morning to those of you following along online as well. I'm Pastor Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and we are deep into a sermon series as we get closer and closer and closer to Easter morning. Uh, this time that we've been traveling is sometimes called Lent. It's an incredibly important part of of our Christian faith and our Christian tradition to take these weeks leading up to Easter for a special measure of reflection, understanding, and growth in our faith for us Christian people. And to help do that, we as a Christian body have been traveling specifically through a sermon series that we are calling DNA. We are taking the time to look at what are the absolute core essentials, the fundamentals, the basics, the DNA of what it makes Uh, What makes a Christian? What makes the Christian faith? And there's been one theme, there's been one overarching theme that's been traveling with us, one thread that's woven its way throughout the entirety of this series, and that it's a really powerful line. Shout it out if you know what I'm about to say. Christianity begins with... Excellent, fantastic. That's exactly right. Christianity begins with Christ. If you're a guest with us and you just felt left out, it's okay. We're going to do one just special for you. So, everybody, let's do it again. So, everybody feels welcome. Shout it out, everybody. Christianity begins with. Christ. You bet. That's exactly right. Christianity, our faith, our practice, it begins with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And we've been using him then as the lens through which we understand the rest of our faith. We've been understanding God in light of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in light of Jesus Christ. The church is what we looked at last week, and we understand it in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus says about the church. This morning, uh, we are going to be tackling another topic, another subject for you. We are going to be looking at the Bible. We are going to be looking at the Bible, and just as we've been doing all series long Christianity begins with Christ therefore so does our understanding of the Bible now this is really important this is really critical for us to be all on the same page uh, because the simple reality is the way that you if you have a Bible the way that you got your Bible is actually not the way that the world got the Bible okay? You probably got your Bible. It's fake imitation letter with the little uh, name embossed in gold. You got it for First Communion. You got it along the way from Grandma. Maybe you've got the shrine in your house with the big family Bible. It's like this big, and it's got, you know, this much dust on top of it. You know what I'm talking about, right? And and, and actually, the way in which those Bibles uh, come together, the way that they look, I mean, here's a couple different examples. I mean, I got the Archaeological Bible here. I got the Women of Faith Bible here. I've got Children's Bibles. These are all nice and bound, and they even, got footnotes in them, right? But the simple reality is that these Bibles, packaged and produced as they are, the ones that are sitting in your home, the ones that's downloaded on your phone right now, they actually didn't come dropped out of the sky like this. I know, shocking. Uh, The way that the Bible comes about, though, is incredibly important to understanding how to use, interpret, and apply the Bible itself. The reason we Christians embrace the Bible has to do with where the Bible comes from. You know, the simple reality is that many people don't understand the story of the Bible, and therefore they get confused by stories in the Bible. Some people know stories in the Bible, but because they don't know the story of the Bible, they make it confusing for other people. How to interpret it, how to apply it, how to receive it, how to use the Bible and what its intent actually is. So, this morning, we begin by looking at where the Bible comes from. Where does the Bible begin? Where does the Bible story stem from? And it's actually no surprise for us that, that, that Christianity begins with Christ. Guess where the Bible kind of begins and starts? Oh, that would, would, be, would be with Jesus Christ. Christ. The story of the Bible, the Bible's story stems; it comes from Jesus's own story. The Bible's story stems from Jesus's story. You you already know this. Let me let me break it down further. But you already know a lot of this. Uh, there's this man who lived. Years and years ago in ancient Israel, he was a Jewish rabbi. He started to walk around and started preaching. He started teaching and gathering a following. His name was Jesus. And all of a sudden, his following started witnessing and watching as Jesus did more and more incredible things. I mean, the guy started doing just amazing, mind-blowing stuff, right? He starts healing people. He starts casting out demons. He starts multiplying and feeding crowds of people with food. He even walks on water. I mean, this stuff's really happening. This is incredible. And this Jesus guy, wow. More and more people get excited about him. More and more people start to follow him. More and more people start to sit at his feet and listen to his sermons. I mean, man, he was the best preacher that ever lived. This Jesus guy had it going on. Eventually, Jesus, with all of his followers, he starts telling them that he's going to die. Wah, wah, bummer. He's going to die. Good news. Doesn't end there. He's got resurrection coming. He actually predicts his own death and his resurrections at the hand of the local authorities, the death. And that comes to pass. He dies. He gets put in a tomb. He rises again three days later that we call Easter Sunday, Easter morning. And his disciples, his followers, these people that have been walking with him are witnesses to this whole thing. I mean they've been walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus and watching this whole thing unfold. They've seen his life, his death and now they've seen his resurrection. So Jesus goes to these these followers and he says, "Look, I've arrested death. I've changed the ball game. It no longer has hold over you. And through life through faith in me by believing in my name, you you too can have life." And so I want you now to go as my followers Out into the rest of the world and start telling people about my life my death and my resurrection and so his followers uh, went out into the world and as the world started to interact with him they were like who are you and we're like well we're Christians this is where you get Christians from you ever want to know where Christians started it's all those followers of Jesus who went out and started telling others about Jesus These Christians start converting more and more people. They start telling more and more people. And all of a sudden, there are churches that are getting planted. There are Christian communities, ecclesia, bodies of people who believe and have that common faith in Jesus gathering together. And because geographically they start to get spread out some, they start connecting with each other over distance by using snail mail. They didn't have email. They used letters. So one pastor would write a letter to one of the churches, a letter of encouragement, a letter of correction, a letter reminding them of Jesus, telling them, uh, expounding upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and encouraging them to hold to that faith in the person of Jesus. Well, this wasn't enough, no. They needed more than just letters because as it grew farther and farther out, as gener- more and more generations started to become part of this, uh, people wanted to know they had a hunger for, for actual accounts of Jesus. They're like, you know what, this is good, this is great, this is wonderful, I believe, but I just I want to know more about this Jesus guy. And so so people started setting out to actually uh, interview some of those original disciples, the the ones who actually walked with him, actually witnessed the resurrection, the ones that spent time with him and and could recall his teachings and his sermons. And so they started to interview some of those original disciples and and write down what what they said and then compile it into these firsthand uh, eyewitness accounts. And and they bring those accounts together in what you and I now have and refer to, to as the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the, the stories of, of people who have witnessed and been around Jesus, sharing it with others as, as a scribe writes it down. In fact, in fact, one of the eyewitness accounts actually describes this. It comes out of the Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke, which is in the Bible. It says this, this, is, this is the way the Gospel starts. This is the opening, this is the beginning to Luke. Not many people know this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Okay, so lots of people. There are many people that have set out to help get an idea and capture, uh, put pen to paper, and capture an account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then they use these eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, those early disciples who have now passed on Those stories and shared them in and among other churches. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, this is Luke speaking in the first person. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So, what you have here is you have Theophilus. Theophilus would have been a Christian, probably a wealthy one who was a patron for Luke and said, Luke, I believe in Jesus, but I just want to know more. I want to know more about his teachings and what he said and what he did. I want to know more about his life, death, and resurrection. So Luke, I'll foot the bill if you go and spend the time and energy to collect and write an orderly account. And so that's what Luke did. Luke, and from his work... We have both the Gospel of Luke and actually another book in the Bible that we call uh, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And so from these writings, these eyewitness accounts, and these letters that were traded between pastors and churches and, and church leaders, we actually have the latter part of the Christian Bible. The Christian Bible that you have stems from and grows from a need, a need to know and preserve the true, real, absolute, the faith-oriented stories, teachings, the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where the Bible comes from. It is birthed out of this need to know Jesus. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, hold on a minute. There's something before Jesus that is called the Old Testament, and it's in the front half of the Bible, and that comes before Jesus. Okay, yes, biblical scholar, well done. There's a first half to the Bible. We sometimes refer to it as the Old Testament. It's incredibly important for us as Christians, the Old Testament, even though it came before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Well, for those of you who had a chance to be with us last week, you learned that we as a Christian people have roots. We have Jewish roots. Our Christian faith has roots in the Jewish faith and Jewish tradition. The Old Testament actually is the Jewish Bible. That's what it is. It's the Jewish scriptures and Bible that we now bring together with these other eyewitness accounts and letters. The Jewish Bible is so terribly important for us as Christians because it sets the table and sets the trajectory for Jesus. I mean, the Jewish Bible, as you get into it, shows a need, a desperate need in humanity for reconciliation with this supernatural God, a God who created, a God who loves, a God who's, who's at work in this world. And, and this God promises the Jewish people a Messiah, a, a Savior. Uh, the term that's sometimes used in the Hebrew is anointed one. That's one of the most powerful terms that's used in the Old Testament, the anointed one who is going to come. Do you know what the word in Greek, which the New Testament, which the life, death, and resurrection, post-Jesus, was written in Greek, before Jesus was written in Hebrew? The word in Greek for anointed one, the one promised in the Old Testament in Hebrew, is Christos. Guess what word we get from Christos? Christ? Jesus Christ, he didn't have two first names, means Jesus, the anointed one, the one who was promised and foretold in the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish Bible. So the Jewish Bible is incredibly important for us because of the way it leads us to anticipate, expect, and be excited for meeting Jesus, showing our need for Jesus. And that's why the Bible kind of has these two big parts. The Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. The New Testament, which is these compilation of letters and stories about Jesus and his followers. You know, there's a monk who lived years and years ago, 500 years ago. Those of you who hang around with me long enough will hear me quote him often enough because I'm a big fan. His name, any, any guesses who I'm about to quote from? Martin Luther, I heard it out there. Yep, Martin Luther was an incredibly influential monk 500 years ago. He started what is called the Reformation. You, heard, you learned about it in high school, like, history class. Don't worry about it. You don't. It changed the political, social, economic, uh, it changed the world, okay? It changed the world. And it came from this monk, this little guy who's hanging out in Germany named Martin Luther. Not many people know, though, that Martin Luther... Because of his teachings and his writings that led people to faith in Jesus, his emphasis was all about Jesus. Not many people know that Martin Luther's specialty, what he studied, what his background was, what he was a professor of is actually the Old Testament. The Old the Jewish Bible was his specialty. And when he sat down with Genesis, when he sat down with the Psalms, when he went through the Jewish Bible, Martin Luther couldn't help but find himself anticipating and being pulled along in the story into the New Testament where he found Jesus Christ. He's got some great quotes about the Bible. Here are two quick ones. He says this, The Bible is the cradle wherein the Christ child is laid. Uh, It's a beautiful image, actually. He's saying, basically, that when you open the Bible, when you open the Scriptures, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, what you're going to find there is Jesus. It's the cradle. It's the uh, manger is sometimes the word that's used. And if you look at a Bible, when you kind of see the V in it, the idea is that Christ is found as you dig into and go into the Bible. He'll even go so far as to say, look, if you try to take Jesus out of the Bible, if you take him out of the Old Testament, you take him out of the New Testament, there's just, just nothing left. You shake this thing, and Jesus is what comes out. That's, that's like everything. Remove Christ from the Scriptures. There's nothing left. And it's because Luther knew, Luther understood, that when you go to the Bible... When you engage with those sacred stories, you will be exposed to Jesus, to his story, to his life, his teachings, his implications for your own life. You're going to be moved and challenged to put faith in him, to believe in him, it's what the Bible does. In fact, the Bible itself claims that. It says it outright. Check this out in John 20. John chapter 20. Uh, this is Pastor Bob's actually favorite verse in the Bible, John 20 31. It's our guest Wi Fi password. That's why it's our guest Wi Fi password. John 20 31. Uh, it's incredibly important. And it's incredibly powerful. It's, this is, comes out of one of those eyewitness accounts from John. It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in the book. So, so everything that's even been written down, there's, there's even more that we're missing, but it's okay. We don't, we don't need the entirety of the story. We've got what matters most because these things, the things that we do have, the things that are in this Bible, this Bible and what it is, these are written, two very important words, so that. This is why. This is the purpose. This is the meaning. This is the point. These things are written so that you may continue to believe, have faith, trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in Him, having faith in Him, trusting Him, you will have life by the power of his name. That is the purpose of the Bible. That you might continue in faith, grow in faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That that is what the Bible does it stems from and comes from a need to know and hear the words of Jesus to get to know him. And the more that you get to know him, the more you will find yourself believing and trusting him. The Bible was written so that you and I could believe in Jesus, traced all the way back to those first disciples, now handed on to you, disciples. The power and way in which this Bible, this book, these collections, these written words can, can change your life, I mean, there's story after story. Even in this room, there's story after story. Of people who have been changed, challenged, and transformed, as they went to the went to these words and, and got to know Jesus more. I can tell you out of my own life, I've been changed, I've been transformed, I've been shaped by this, I've been challenged by this, and and I can tell you stories out of my life where it's made that difference. In fact, let me tell you, I wanted to share one quick story where it actually uh, profoundly impacted me as I witnessed Im- it impacting somebody else. That the power of reading and being exposed to the Bible, impacting somebody else. Uh, my, my wife and I, we lived for a year in uh, the area of Portland, Oregon. We were kind of in the Portland, Oregon area. I was an intern pastor. I had a mentor pastor. And that mentor pastor, Pastor Peter, texted me late one night and said, Andrew, I'm going to pick you up tomorrow morning at, at 4 four in the morning, 4.30. I'm going to come get you. I'll have Starbucks ready. Okay, I guess we're doing we're doing something tomorrow morning. So sure enough, next morning, he pulls up in his car i black Mazda. I get in. And he says, we're, we're going to go to Portland. We're going to go to a hospital. We're going to visit with someone. Okay. All right. Here we go. So we zip on down to the hospital. And as we're going to the hospital, as we're getting down there, he said, you know, I want you to know, though, uh, this may be challenging. Uh, this may be tough. The person that we're visiting with is, is delightful um, but struggles with faith. Okay. All right. So we find our way up in the hospital, uh, find out she's having surgery. This person that we're about to visit is having surgery. And it's, it's not like one of those little surgeries. It's like one of the big ones. I mean, this is not like one of those in-and-out type situations. This is like one of those surgeries that could change a person's life and, and potentially end it. Okay? This is a, it's a big one. It's a big surgery. And, and I knew that this woman was anxious. I knew that she was nervous. I knew that she was scared, just was fearful. Uh, because the moment we pulled back the curtain and we stepped forward to spend time with her, you know, it's in the prep area and there's nurses and things are beeping, but, but as clergy, we go back there and, and uh, we, we have access to sit with someone usually. And so we went to do that with her, and as we pulled back the curtain, she saw us and her, her immediate response was to talk a million miles an hour. Just, she just wouldn't stop, stop talking. We just stood there. Uh, and, and she would go on and on and on and on. And you could just tell that she was anxious and nervous because she just couldn't, she couldn't. She's 90 pounds, she's 65 years old, and she's sitting in this bed. She's just terrified. Eventually, my mentor pastor put his hand on on her hand and, and she kind of simmered down a bit. She closed down. And uh, he looked at her and he said, I want to tell you a story. And he pulled out his Bible and he went to Mark 5. Mark is one of the, the firsthand eyewitness accounts. It's attributed to being Peter's, actually. Uh, this guy Mark sat down with the apostle Peter, who was one of the big uh, disciples in the Bible, and wrote down, Peter, what was your experience like with Jesus? And so we went to that account in Mark 5. In that account in Mark 5, uh, a guy, a dad, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my little girl is sick. She might die. Come quick. Jesus says, okay, I'm on my way. Jesus goes to where the little girl uh, lives, comes to the house, goes into the house. And as, as Jesus is coming into the house, he notices everybody is actually crying. They're mourning. And uh, he realizes, it becomes apparent that he's too late. The little girl has died. Jesus, looking around, says, why are you all crying? It's kind of like this weird joke. Like, Jesus, that's not the right socially acceptable thing to say right now. She's, she's dead. Um, but he says, show me to her room anyways. So he goes upstairs to her room, and there's a little girl lying on the bed. And Jesus goes up to the bed, and uh, I picture him sitting on the edge of the bed um, and maybe, maybe picking up the little girl's hand. I don't know. But I do know he says this. He looks at the little girl. He says, Talethukum, which means, little girl, get up. And you know what happened? She got up. She sat up and got up. Because Jesus said, Talethukum, get up. as my mentor pastor was finishing this story, I looked at the woman and as she was laying there, uh, two tears, one out of each eye, uh, had rolled down. And there was a moment of silence and then she looked at me and she said, okay, now you can pray. So I stepped forward, I put hands on her and I prayed. After I was done praying, there was another moment of silence and she looked at both me and Pastor Peter. And she said, okay, I believe I will be all right now. Thank you. And we left. We went back to his car. We got in the car. Pastor Peter turned to me. He didn't start the car right away. It was clear he wanted my attention. So I looked at him. He looked at me. Another moment of silence. And he said, Andrew, I want you to remember something. Always give them what they need. And what they need is the word. What they need, what he means there is, what they need are the words written on these pages that will move people to faith and hope and life in Jesus Christ. People whose marriages are falling apart, whose finances are terrible, who they look at their life and they don't know what they're doing or where they're going. You need to sit with the other disciples at Jesus' feet and listen to the Sermon on the Mount. People who, who are desperate, who are looking at their life and they feel like they're in the pit. People are looking around and wondering, is there even a future right now? You need to sit with Isaiah and hear words of hope. Words of Jesus coming. People who who are guilty and shameful and, and feel this overwhelming burden when they look at themselves and their lives, if that's you, you need to hear this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For those of you who are afraid of death, Hear this I am the resurrection and the life. For those of you who need Jesus and need to believe in Him, go to the written word, go to the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you will encounter Jesus' living words that will change your life. And that, that reality is why the Bible is part of our Christian DNA. Because we believe that these things were written, that we might believe in Jesus Christ. Amen, good? Let's close with a word of prayer. Please pray with me. Jesus, we give you thanks that you would preserve your stories, your truth, your teachings, that you would inspire and move us to deeper faith and understanding of you through your written word, through the Bible. We receive these gifts with thanksgiving, and we esteem them, we appreciate them, we value them, we turn our attention to them, that we might better be people who understand you and believe in you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ongoing story, the story of redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. I pray for those in this room who need to hear Jesus' words of love and grace, of forgiveness and hope, and pray that through your people and through your word, they would experience faith and freedom and life by believing in your name. Lord, thank you for the gift and the treasure of the Bible. We pray all of this, Jesus, in your precious and holy name. Amen.